Oh, okay, let's do this. Oh, some voodoo magic, man. Oh, Jesus. Go snorkeling and listen to the Uncut Jazz podcast, the weekly show where we talk about movies no one else wants to talk about. This is episode number 98. My name's Jack. And my name's Randy. And today, we're continuing our, uh, let's just say, thrills in the deep, horrors of the deep. Not much of a horror today, but you know, like you get the message uh, by talking about the deep. But before we do that, classic patreon plug or maybe before the patreon plug so you know last week we talked about deep star six next week we're going to be talking about the leviathan uh so we're doing a trio of sort of underwater thrillers slash horrors i think it's well today it's not much of a horror but more of a thriller uh and then in the meantime we'll also possibly by the time you're listening to this possibly there will be or maybe next week depending on how editing goes uh, we'll be dropping off a first of our many tie-ins for this month. And then this one's going to be tied into this sort of series. We'll be talking about The Abyss by James Cameron. And then also, just a quick heads up, we'll be talking about Gremlins and uh, Ghostbusters in two other uh, in other sort of bonus tie-in episodes coming towards the, the end of the month to coincide with our Christmas and New Year's episodes about the sequels to those films. So, you know, stay tuned for that. Three bucks a month, patreon.com slash uncatchingspot is where you can go and listen to all that crap. And then on top of that, there we're, we're, this month we're finishing with the uh, Twin Peaks, The Return, putting a cap over our David Lynch marathon. And also, by the way, for the month of December, quick reminder, the David Lynch marathon episodes about Twin Peaks are free to listen. Uh, so go in there and have a have a peek, have a have a listen to our conversations about Twin Peaks and David, arguably David Lynch's Opus Magnum, according to many. Now, that's it. Of that, that, that's it. We're not plugging anything more. Let's just get into the to the meat and potatoes of the show. So let's just talk about the deep. You're still there, girl. Like a jar. Warm me up. Anyway, rum's not drinking, it's surviving. You know what's got me stumped? This is the Havana Manifest right here. You see, it's clearly signed by the king's man in Havana, the Marquesa Casateras, governor of Cuba. See, it states here that entire fleet sunk off the coast of Florida in 1715. That's King Philip's fleet, 1715. Every ship, right? All itemized, all recorded. So what I don't understand is, what is this ship doing down here in these waters? Unitemized, unrecorded, unescorted, and carrying a three lock box. Hmm? <clears throat> the Deep was directed by Peter Yates and was released in 1977 and stars Robert Shaw, Nick Nolte, Jacqueline Bissett, and uh, Louis, Louis Gossett Jr. and I think Eli Wallach also I suppose deserves a mention. 
um, in a sort of, I, I want to say an adventure thriller is probably the way to call it, about a uh, a couple who just does scuba diving in the, on their holiday in Bermuda, and that's Nick Nolte and, and Jacqueline Bisset, and they find some kind of an artifact in a, while while investigating a, a sunken wreckage of a of, of, I think of some kind of a World War Two ship, and then it turns out that they they find out well what they find sets them on onto pos- a possibility that there may be a hidden treasure somewhere in there that dates back to like the 1700s and it's gonna be worth millions of dollars and whatever. So they enlist the help of a of, of sort of like a local lo- local let's just say excavation guru that's Robert <laughs> Shaw, uh, and then while they're while they're sort of trying to figure out whether what they're what they're after is worth any real money, they also attract attention of the local gangsters who are uh, who are interested in drug smuggling and the fact that potentially the the ship that they're investigating has a lot of morphine morphine can just hidden somewhere in there this is just a great synopsis <laughs> that's about it that's, that's, that's what you get it. with the deep that's just what you can that's that's exactly what you can get so like i haven't mentioned this at the at the top of it but the the the, the film is based on a book by peter benchley and if you don't know what this name what this name means you should probably just go and sit down for a second and just have a moment because this is a man man who wrote this book called jaws on which the film jaws was based and then and the reason this film exists is because Jaws was such a massive success. Uh, so apparently, um, yeah, before this book was even written, Peter Benchley had a carte blanche on adapting it into a movie because Jaws was such a massive success. Um, so I, I, su- I suppose no one really paid attention to uh, too much because he, he, was, he was an absolute... Go uh, absolute star at the time, so they hired Robert Shaw, who was also, if you remember, he was also Quint in Jaws, and then Louis Gossett Jr. I think was would have been I think in Jaws three in nineteen eighty three. So there's you know, quite a few Jaws connections. Um, and the script was rewritten by a few people as well: Tracy Keenan Wynn and Tom Man. Uh, I want I want to say Mankiewicz because this is his. This is how I would have read this name, but I think people would say Mankiewicz. <laughs> so let's just yeah. stay with that. And this is—is is it Joseph? No, uh, Tom, it's Tom. It's this is son. Tom. Son. Um, it's his son. And who wrote Citizen Kane? It's his uncle. That's the other man. It's not Joseph, but uh, is it uh, Hank? Herman. Herman. Is it, Thank is you. Is it Herman? Yeah, all the same family. Yeah, they're two brothers. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, so yeah, so the film was kind of. I want to say a big success because I think the 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 biggest sort of selling point of the film was the underwater photography and the fact that they kind of all just filmed a lot of it on location and then all of it was kind of just underwater for reals. The film was a massive success with with the audiences. The critics were not that warm towards it, although at the time I think some were kind of more positive than others. But overall, I think the the film stands at I want to say forty eight or forty five percent of Rotten Tomatoes, so it's not very well received. Let's just say it's divisive, which probably bring. And then I think one of the sort of I don't know conver- conversation points for this movie is that it's probably one of the few, one of the few films, like one of the last films that Robert Shaw ever made because he died prematurely. Um, Shortly thereafter, I think he made, I think, I think, Forced End of Navarone and something else. And then he died. Black Sunday was after this, wasn't it? 
uh, I think Black Sunday was just about before it, but okay. potentially, yeah, it's the same year. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's about it for the deep, you know, like filmed on location and written by Peter Bentley, and that's all you need to know. And then let's just dive into it, Randy. Tell me, what did you think about the deep? Well, Jakob, this was a first-time watch for me. This is a film that a um, few friends have recommended this over the years, so I'm I've been fully aware of this film for a long time without actually knowing too much about it. Um, so this was a first-time watch. Um, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter Yates. Uh, Peter Yates is a, a guy I don't really know too much about. I don't have too much history with him. I only saw uh, Bullet uh, earlier this year. I haven't seen The Dresser. I haven't seen Breaking Away. I forget if I saw Kroll or not. If Anyway, if I did, I, I don't really remember anything of it. So I don't it would have, have been like a childhood classic for you. It could have been, and I certainly remember uh, what was the the weapon called? Just sort of the, the glaive throwing star, the glaive. I, I sort of mm. remember that, or remember the poster, but I don't really remember anything about it, so I can't even really recall if I saw it. But at any rate, um, Bullet to me is sort of an interesting comparison to The Deep. Uh, both Bullet and The Deep were uh, sizable hits, and you know uh, they were recommended to me as highly highly regarded and based on their spectacle they're really fun to watch bullet of course with the great uh i'd I'd even say visionary car chase is just sort of great Mm -hmm. moment the deep similarly great underwater photography great underwater action scenes um both those films have plots and leads though that i don't really care about (laughs) the deep (laughs) delivers on excitement (laughs) Uh, underwater like it's breathtaking intricate action but on the whole i find the deep boring it's not too deep is it (laughs) i do not care for the deep all that much although i really do appreciate the underwater photography and the underwater set pieces um there's really some stuff to to get into that is will be exciting to talk about but on the whole yeah i'm not crazy about this movie uh the deep to me sort of epitomizes what uh would have been a typical school day for me in my youth recess was fun so that in the deep would be like the underwater part of the film all that stuff's great but class was dull and boring and i didn't necessarily like it and that's all the stuff where nolte and shaw and Bissett go to the library and study books (laughs) and spend you know long scenes talking about Spanish history, boring. Uh, and then of course my, my school, my school life was, you know, riddled with uh, undeveloped, underdeveloped, irrational bullies. And that's Lou Gossett Jr. So like this film is what a school day would have been for me. Um, and I'll just sort of leave it at that. Oh no, I have one other point. I do want to mention about, the positives in the deep is, and William Friedkin said once, he said that if you, in the seventies, if you wanted to go make something truly remarkable and film it, there were, by way of special effects, you know, they, they, they were coming into their own with, with Star Wars and everything. But uh, if you wanted to capture something on film that was really remarkable, you had to go out and do something really remarkable. And Yates seems to be on that wavelength because, you know, the footage we get here is like bullet, like 
he is going all out and he's getting some amazing stuff to look at. I can't help but think that maybe the deep is a bit of an inspiration in some ways to Cameron and even maybe to Spielberg and Indiana Jones and maybe even just throwing it out there. Um, the whole muscle man fighting phenomenon that you have in the eighties with Schwarzenegger and, and Stallone action, uh, just putting it out there. So there could be some inspirations in here. This was a, this was a fairly sizable uh, hit, I think, in in the late seventies. So, you know, it may have been sort of a, an influence in some of the stuff we'll see coming out in the eighties. We'll get into that. I'll just throw that out there. But in terms of initial uh, reactions to this film, I can't get behind it. Didn't really enjoy it because there's nothing there for me with characters. But boy, oh boy, I could watch some of this underwater stuff over and over. It's great. Okay, let's just specify like the underwater stuff you want to watch over and over and again. It's just the opening sequence with Jacqueline Bisset just diving in a sort of weird wet t-shirt contest. There's that, <laughs> but and there's all kinds of things about that scene that uh, can get into. I, I love the fact that she's playing with a puffer fish. That's awesome. Uh, I know. Yeah, and I those could... are quite dangerous. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought. Um, I thought you were going to say, there are, two, there are two things I want to talk about in this scene. <laughs> There's a t-shirt and a puffer fish. <laughs> oh, no, I just said, like, both nipples just <laughs> protruding. Uh, it's very distracting that way. I just feel like Yeah, especially in that opening scene, I'll, I'll say. But uh, Oh, goodness. <clears throat> anyway. Anyway, how about you? <laughs> what are your opening thoughts? I, I, you know what? At some point, I mean, when we were just coming up with the schedule for the show and just like, oh, let's do deep because, you know, that would be an interesting sort of thing. Oh, you know. And I just, at some point, like in anticipation, I procured a Blu-ray for it for five ninety nine. So that was a good deal. And the Blu-ray is really mm-hmm. stunning when it comes to like the transfer is very good. This is one-on-one film. So it's, it's like a cool. boutique sort of situation. And, and the deal was amazing on this. And I'm, and I'm again torn. Because I really liked what the Blu-ray looks like, but the film's dog shit. (laughs) 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 I want to say it's 40 minutes too long. That's first and foremost, because it's over two hours of this. You know what? I can, you know, I get it. Like, oh, the underwater photography. And it's just like, well, but then, okay. At this point, I, I think to myself, has there not been a Bond film that did this? Oh no, there's also the creature from the Black Lagoon. Like, there's so many films where I can see, like, the underwater photography is amazing. Like, we did Piranha 2, which I think is just, just about, like, the 80s. And then, uh, like, it's all, it almost feels like it's a talking point in its own right. It's just like when there are people filming underwater, at some point, you kind of have to just go and say, like, the underwater photography is amazing. Because maybe this is just me talking through the sort of lens of 2022, sort of jaded, sort of middle aged man. <laughs> it's just like, like who just I just I'm just pining for this of the the years of where people would actually go out on location and shoot, uh, as opposed to just pretending they're underwater and just having everyone be uh, on a green screen or whatnot. So I suppose you're right. Yeah, like the underwater photography is amazing because it's just fun to see when when people kind of film a location and they have all the sort of snorkels and they have the you know like the fins and whatnot and they're sort of the, the, they're paddling away and they're looking for for treasure and 
and it's a Nick Nolte, and then Nick Nolte is just a sexy man with his mustache. He just looks like he just auditioned for a for a role in a porno, and just the Ron Jeremy <laughs> beat him to, to it. Right? <laughs> it's just the he best. He does look like a porn actor in this. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, uh, but uh, you know. I mean, this is going to be a conversation because we kind of have to just interrogate what the hell, right? But before we do this, it's just in just in general term, terms, it, this movie is so boring. I was just thinking to myself, like, for the last 40 minutes, I was just trying to stay focused on this. Just, okay, well, just I'm looking at these characters and I'm just trying to remember, like, what is, what is his name? What is his name? And he's just, it's Trees. It's one of the main characters. It's Robert Shaw. And I kept forgetting his name. And there's like, oh, this this guy, Kevin, he gets his arm broken in some weird way towards the end. And he just looks like they're just made up, made him into a bit of a show. It's just, I didn't quite know how to dress it in words, but I think we're, we're going to have to kind of at some point attempt. But this this film is just uninteresting, just fundamentally boring. And I don't understand why. I mean, I have a few ideas and I'm, we're, we're just about going to get to it. But I feel like the underwater photography alone is not enough to carry the film. It almost feels, because I know it's a Peter Benchley adapted film, because it has the Peter Benchley name just smacked all across the film. It's just, it's Peter Benchley, because Peter Benchley was just the hot shit in, in Hollywood at the time. And I can possibly see why this movie is not. Um, like well regarded these days because um, maybe it was forgotten because it was just I want to say like three weeks after Star Wars and like Sorcerer couldn't just hold the candle to Star Wars right and then and Sorcerer is just the masterpiece go and listen still to our made money though this made a hundred million or something I know but then like no one gives a shit now and then this is why we're here and this is one of those things that you know like sometimes you step on a landmine when you <laughs> <laughs> when you're trying it's like oh no one cares about this film and sometimes it's kind of like it's like sorcerer look it's amazing it's great you know like you get you get you get a great conversation out of this and sometimes it actually is like you feel like you're in rambo or just stepping on a landmine just like turning into mins <laughs> that's how i feel but it feels like i, I want to blame peter benchley for this because he he wrote like he was <laughs> I mean, I want to blame whoever whoever produced it. I don't know. It's like Universal or someone. I'm not sure who this was. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, Columbia. <laughs> Columbia. I want to blame whoever whoever greenlit this in Columbia when they said, like, you know, Peter, I haven't read your book yet, but I'm sure it's going to be great. <laughs> and, you know, how about you finish writing your book and then write a script based about it, uh, uh, based upon it? And then you wrote it, and someone read it, and it's like, you know, this isn't very a very good script. So they gave it to this woman who uh, whose name now escapes me, and I just remembered her like five minutes ago. Tracy Keenan Wynn. I'm not sure what she did before, and then they gave it to another guy, uh, Tom Mankiewicz, right? Who, mm-hmm. um, who at the time was, I think. I mean, he he did he wrote Superman the movie and he wrote a bunch of Bond films like Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, Moonraker, all the shitty ones. <laughs> so you know, and it actually, in all in all fairness, it kind of feels like a Bond movie to to me, and like one of the shittier Bond movies when you just like look at these people and their plots, and I have just no idea why they're doing what they're doing, but they're doing it anyway, and I just don't care. 
so that's one or two Bond connections. But you know, like in just in general terms, it feels like this movie would have benefited vastly from a massive shark just being present somewhere in there, <laughs> just to you know spice it up a little bit. But overall, overall, I'm torn because I have this Blu-ray that looks amazing. The cover is amazing as well, so I don't want to get rid of it. But I know the film's shit, and I, it's just gonna be just haunting me now from the shelf. It's just sitting there, knowing, like together with um, uh, what's the, what's the film? <laughs> no, the man who wasn't there is gonna go because it's on DVD. I don't care about it. But what's the um, <laughs> uh, ch- chariots of fire? <laughs> That's another one pile of crap that I have on my shelf that I don't know what to do with because it's just like it's a Blu-ray. I don't know. It won an Oscar and it's just such a piece of crap. I, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. What's going on in here? Why doesn't this film work for us? Whereas it did, I mean, I suppose in 1977 we were like, look, they're filming underwater and we're not afraid of the water anymore because the shark's not real <laughs> and Steve Spielberg's doing other <laughs> yeah. things. He's now about the aliens because I think that was 1977 was when the Close Encounters was coming out. I think so, out. yeah. Um, yeah. What's going on in here? <laughs> oh, I, in large part, I think it's the characters and because they're all wet rags as far as I'm concerned. Um, there are wet rags in this film, yep. Yep. And honestly... <laughs> <laughs> yeah some of them some of them come in the form of t-shirts but yeah honestly uh, it it starts with the i do not care about these characters and i don't think they're honeymooning but they're spending a weekend or a week together um you know snorkeling it's supposed to be a couple thing and they they find a, a trinket uh when they're snorkeling and i don't care about this trinket they don't really tell me anything about it it's just stuff happens it's it's just plot and there's nothing else really sexy to pull me into it yes i i'm there for these underwater scenes because i think some of them are really quite quite brilliant um but boy oh boy nothing really ties together in 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 terms of anything i'd care about I, i i don't care about robert shaw i don't have a clue what's going on with uh Lou Gossett Jr. Like he introduces himself as one name, so then I'm trying to remember this French Haitian name. He's, no, he's it's like Robert Schultz. He's Haitian. <laughs> Henri Bondumont or something, isn't it? And yeah, well, his name, according to Wikipedia, is Louis Gossett Jr. is Henri Cloche yeah. Bondurant. Right, but then they keep calling him Cloche. So it's but so it's his nickname. It's his street name. It's this is his rapper name. You know, this is how yeah, he, how he goes. His, what he goes by when he raps in a that, nightclub. Yeah, that's his handle in the hood. Um, <laughs> just look, I he shows Jesus up Christ. a couple times. There, the, there's these random acts of terrorizing uh, Nick Nolte and Jacqueline Bissett. I, I don't really understand what it's about, and. I, I there's no gravity to what these trinkets are until they spend about 50 minutes from the end of the movie. Uh, the characters lock themselves in a room with books and it feels like they just read books. And that's all I'm watching is people read books and I not sucked into this at all. I don't feel that there's any 
impending threat. I don't understand it when the exposition suggests that, oh, this cloche guy is really dangerous and there's this henchman that's over there and he's going to attack Kevin. Who? What? I am just all tuned out of this. And then by the time they tell me that, you know, the, the king of Spain had commissioned the creation of some of these jewels. Oh, I feel like I'm watching this lost. film again. And all I want to do is just shout at the TV. Going like, <laughs> Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. It's like everything. I'm saying. And then, you know, you've got these little ampules of morphine and one ship. There's one shipwreck that fell right on top of another shipwreck. And there's a cave underneath of all of that. And Jacqueline Bissett is sketching all of this. I didn't understand what was going on until like I had to pause and there's a quick shot of her sketch and she's showing in her sketch a picture of a shipwreck and then it's on a ledge and then there's a cave under that and she draws that cave underneath. I don't know what's going on here. I shouldn't need these visual aids. (laughs) It's yeah. What the hell? Her sketches are nice. Like she, she has a good hand. But who cares? Fair, yeah, but who cares? <laughs> you know, like, she's like me in class doodling on my notebook. And you sketched she... this, and then you didn't even know. It's a pendant. No, it's a, no, it's a, it's a whatchamacallit? Who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, to me, it starts with characters, because I'm, I'm spending this, you know, opening five minutes underwater with these two characters, and then they come topside, and... They say nothing that sucks me into the relationship or what they're doing or why they're there. And then it just goes from there and it's all plot, like nothing. There's no dressing over the top of this um, that I'd call a story whatsoever. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, know? <laughs> I see. I think that Peter Benchley's main idea was like, I think he was just so obsessed with this idea because I think this is based on a real ship, I think called the constellation mm-hmm. it's in bermuda which sank in like the 1940s somewhere and it actually was carrying this morphine and it sank because it struck an already just sunken ship, right? ship somewhere from like the american civil war or whatever uh, or uh, montana i think so it was just like oh this is cool this is such a cool idea um no no this is a cool gimmick like that's what it's, like you yeah. need to have a story around it so like I totally agree. There's like there's just plot in here, and I'm like, have you seen the Ninth Gate? Uh, yeah, I saw it in theaters, but not since. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I remember seeing that in the Ninth Gate after reading the book on which this is based. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called the Cl- Club Duma, <laughs> which is I mean, just a fascinating sort of plot. This is sort of like a s- similar sort of detective story about these people just hanging out in libraries. Right, I mean, one person mm-hmm. hanging out in the library trying to f- piece something together, and but then at the end of it, I mean, there is a stake to it because there is there is also a, like this conspiracy of people just going after him because he has these books and he's trying to figure out what's going on, and then the the big stake of it, there's Satan involved in this, right? Yeah. So this movie needs something like that. I don't necessarily think think that this needs Satan to be involved, although it would be cool. Ooh, that would have been that would have helped way better right <laughs> yeah but yeah but overall i think this movie like you know some like i'm trying to kind of find a good metaphor because sometimes i need a metaphor to kind of just put 
just contextualize certain things for my ha- for myself and then just one one thing that kind of just keeps coming to my head is you know like like these sort of youtube videos or maybe like old 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 sort of short videos where you can see um i don't know if you know a red hot chili peppers they can't stop song like there will be people who um would re-edit the song so that the uh the song would never start so it kind of starts with this before it actually kicks into the verse but then like they'll just loop it so it always kind of just like builds up and builds up and bu- and then comes back up it builds up and builds up and then just comes back to it and so it feels like it's it's it just has um the film's missing a gear somewhere just mm-hmm. to kind of just set in, set itself into motion it feels like you know like if you watch jaws and it's this pov camera of like it never mm-hmm. ca- and it never builds to anything substantial you just always have this build up and then there's more build up and at this at some point you're like can we please have some kind of a resolution someone needs to get bitten here okay and this movie is a, is a result of like how about we just make a movie about a shark that doesn't exist because I'm just like, I see Nick Nolte and Jacqueline Bissett just snorkeling and scuba diving. And all I'm thinking about is, can there please be a shark somewhere in here? Yeah. <laughs> and in like, fact, in the beginning, they start with this sort of premise that there's this mystery. They're just investigating this. Like you say, like, oh, there's a puffer fish. <laughs> and there's Jacqueline Bissett just like, oh, just no, she's touching a puffer fish. And then she's, she's letting her, you know, puppies loose. I don't know what she's doing because, you know, like, clearly needs a swimsuit. Because, you know, I don't know. She was fine. She was fine. I don't know. It's Leave, leave her alone. <laughs> she looked great. It's very distracting. I mean, she's a very beautiful woman, but Jesus Christ. Like, just Pufferfish was just, I don't know. Never I guess mind. there's stories, too, about um, the way that, they, like, the Deep had um, a massive marketing campaign, and a lot of the marketing campaign uh, relied on um, sort of the titillating appeal of that first dive. So but, yeah, sure. You know, they uh, <laughs> they had they did a lot of advertising, I think, in Playboy magazine and just other places where you know men would be interested. And I guess that there was a lot of um, there was a lot of coverage, like in terms of how advertisers, uh, you know, rate uh, you know connections mm-hmm. with audience. Like it, it was really uh, an outstanding uh, campaign they had. And anyway, uh, to a certain point, they wanted to, I think, make trailers or something that that focused on uh, Jacqueline Bissett, like strictly in that outfit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think she sued them because they were using her image in a way that she didn't have any voiceover. But Peter Goober, he was quite pleased with, uh, he's the producer. He was quite pleased with how much money it made. And he feels that a lot of the advertising um, went into like her t-shirt. Boobs <laughs> Sal is what I want to say. By the way, what a great name, Goober. Uh, absolutely anyway i was going to add to your talking point like one thing i think that's missing here too is a shark is a shark but there's also there's no rules here i don't have a sense of what are the rules of this world what are the rules of this story you know i have that lou gossett jr could show up anytime and do whatever i have no sense about what he wants or how he operates he's just poof he's there poof he's not and like there's there's no sense of Bermuda is a small place 
it yeah true and then they're watching a cricket game at some point oh yeah so, says, there's a cricket game I'm just jesus what, is, what are we here for so i and it's it would be okay if there was something about it that might feel like a hangout film but it sure ain't that either it's not um, a hangout film though no my god really? no um but there's, there's no rules film. here like what's what's happening for for me to to latch on to so there's the nothing oh, that... in the characters nothing in the threat no interest in these artifacts there's no like if no, no they're Indiana interested Jones, in the artifacts very much they want to have provenance okay yeah whatever that was i had to look up what that meant you know so is that the proof that it's real uh yeah it's sort of the chain of ownership and uh, so that it can be tracked back uh, we have our provenance we have woo-hoo! our provenance we're tracking be set and it's just about, nick you're the only one who cares nick nolte that means <laughs> yeah there's and there's very little discussion on how much this would be worth i think they mentioned something would be worth seven thousand dollars at one point like what is all this about money is it about like i i don't get the sense of how their lives would improve with indiana jones so i made the comment that maybe there's a bit of inspiration in here maybe in the adventure and artifact finding uh element and if this made money maybe that's a bit of an inspiration to say oh well maybe someone finding old artifacts can be interesting maybe we can do something with um the alan quartermain or whatever maybe that so maybe there's a piece that's unlocked here that oh maybe there's a better movie to come along that's about mm-hmm. um finding artifacts but boy none of this is communicated i don't understand why these are special uh why i should care about you know these artifacts it's just like i say everything here is just it's such a dullard type of affair it's it's just like wet noodle wet blanket it's like everything is just soggy and uninteresting and you know Mm -hmm. i hate just throwing these adjectives out without much to 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 qualify them but you know why am i here i love how they're all like water related it's soggy (laughs) yeah Yeah, there you go (laughs) Uh, i'm on point with the puns but soggy t-shirt this thing (laughs) (laughs) but you know i will also say that it's not like they didn't have an opportunity to do anything because the film opens with this sort of this big sort of diving expedition they're just 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 frolicking with these fishes because different types of fish is fishes i've been told um yes uh, that apparently this is grammatically correct so they're diving with them fishes uh and there is a hook because they find the uh, the the, the ampule, but then there's this little hook where Jacqueline Bisset just goes after. I think yeah, she goes after the and the, the little trinket, mm-hmm. and something pulls on her. And so there's there's an, this sort of this film establishes in the first five minutes that there is some kind of a mysterious, dangerous sort of entity lurking somewhere in there in this ship, right? And this, yeah, and this is a great moment too. Like it's going to make an appearance, if I remember my list correctly, um, because. Yeah, they're they're just combing the the coral, and then they come mm-hmm. across this shipwreck, and sh- there's a little hole in the hull, and I think she sees one of the morphine ampules, isn't it? I think, mm-hmm. and she reaches in to get it. It's either that or the trinket. I can't remember now because I wasn't that interested. <laughs> right. Yeah. But anyway, she's reaching in with her left arm, and yeah. then she's trying to yeah. reach a little further, and then she gets a hell of a yank, and something pulls her, and. I don't know if this was Bissette or if this was a, a stunt double, but 
um, I think it might have been a stunt double that actually like dislocated her arm or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's a fairly violent yank. It's a really impactful moment. And I'm actually thinking, oh, this is a great opening. Like, and it is like, it's a, I'm interested. And uh, then she gets her arm loose, um, sort of, but her arm is hooked in sort of a grabber, not sort of like Elvin Straits grabber. What do you use grabber for? (laughs) For grabbing. (laughs) So, so she's got this sort of stick and she's trying to grab something with it. But anyway, the stick gets another yank and her arm and body follow and she gets rammed by her arm into this hole. And it's a, it's a fairly violent pull. It's, it's great. But I can boy, hear we, this of the of thump. Yeah, oh. but, we, but we, the audience, don't really get anything from that. You know, like that well, doesn't not initially. No, no, it, but it it comes back later. But it's it's just this. Yeah, and also, you know, it's it's not something that's really relevant. Like in a way, like I we we find out that it's a moray eel that. Uh, but it's the know, biggest one he's ever seen. Who cares? Like, there's no reason for me to care. This is like, like a it's, Peter it's, Benchley fetish. <laughs> you know, uh, anyway, like, and yeah, I, I really like this opening, but nothing is done with it. No, nothing is is done with it. As soon as they come topside, the, the film goes belly up. I mean, I don't want to sound like a, like a piranha to apologist, mm-hmm. but this film would have been much better if this... I mean, I get it, the trinkets and everything, whatever. But if if at some point they would have to actually square off against this massive moray eel and actually hunt it down, it would be like a Jaws ripoff. It would be probably much better mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. it feels like it kind of promises that in some kind of an adventure that there is a mystery, that there is danger in these waters, and it doesn't matter at all one bit and it kind of this is what what leads me to kind of the comparison to like a james bond film where you think that there is this massive conspiracy where someone's going to try to take over the world and whatever and there's this weird thing that that's promised to you at the beginning but no it's only going to be a small little chain like link in a, in a chain of plot and then this whole plot, like if you actually pull out and look, like examine it in, in in isolation, actually looks a completely uninteresting and b completely in, incomprehensible. And I just kind of feel like like that about this film. It's just this mystery just goes completely just unpaid off. It almost feels like mm-hmm. Peter Benchley didn't re feel like this, um, or maybe he like missed the trick in here. Like he was so engrossed with this like you know this ship that rammed into another ship <laughs> so let's just he just thought this was more interesting than than it actually was like you know sometimes you'll just get in really invested in like some like something qu- quirky and nerdy and then you'll tell all your friends about it and they'll just not give a shit because it like if you really think about it it's not that cool <laughs> that's the yeah. that's the movie that's the deep for me <laughs> yeah yeah not not bad <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like I don't care what the, like I don't even know like the the Louis I mean there is a scene in there that's gonna make an appearance on my top list but then like the the chase scene for instance is an interesting scene but it just these things things come out of nowhere it almost feels like I'm watching Sean Connery like l- just running away from like a bunch of bunch of goons right random sort of henchmen 
they use like I know these are someone's henchmen, so they're gonna be useful later on. But then he's just going to run away and or, or he's he's gonna outsmart them somehow. But you're just there for the process. Yeah, it's just the process in here is not that interesting. Yeah, there's a a weirdness. Like I say, there, there's no rules. Like then using that scene as an example, and it's not too bad a scene in in isolation. So Nick Nolte and Jacqueline Bizet are on these motorized bicycles, I guess. And then all of a sudden there's this truck that's chasing them, you know, briefly pretending to be dual or something. And then they're abducted and then suddenly they're not abducted. It, it just, the, the, no, the they're weight. being tortured, right? Oh no. Oh, Nick, Nolte's, no. Not, Nick Nolte's being held at knife point And then, yeah. Uh, and they decide this is a good idea to fondle Jack, Jacqueline's besets. Uh, breasts or something like that because because she they think she's gonna be hiding the trinket there. So, yeah, so and dumb. There's just such a lack of communication here because what was it the trinket or was it the ampule? Because they were after the ampule. They were after the morphine because so oh, no, this is after the they they because they they run run into Luis Gossett Jr. in the restaurant right and he just mentions mm-hmm. the uh, the bottle he's like what bottle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, because you can't remember See, any of this because it just comes in and out immediately. It's just there's no, like, no, yeah. no sort of points of interest in there. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not flowing in a, a straight line or a no. Loop. It's just from all kinds of different directions, which again, it makes, it makes it so hard to be vested in this. Um, <laughs> it really is. Um, moving on to another above water scene which I'll, I'll throw this at you where Nick Nolte's getting off uh, the, the boat and he's, it's, it's a night, they just finishing a night dive. And I don't know, I guess he was black concerned. like molasses, black like molasses. And they, they realize, <laughs> Oh, the lights on the hotel aren't on anymore. So then there's this big rush to get back to shore. And then there's a whole, uh, you know, voodoo torture thing which I wasn't really understanding. Creepy, I guess, in a moment, but you know, w- what does this have to do with anything? And I'm not attaching this threat. So what happens is Jacqueline Bissett's, she's home alone at in the hotel room, and these guys in voodoo masks come in, and they take a recently amputated chicken leg and rub blood over Jacqueline Bissett's uh, belly and torso. That's what I take from it, and just sort of threaten her and torture her i don't i I don't i don't understand why i can't help you though i can't help you if you don't understand why i'm just like i'm right there with you no idea why anything's happening in this film like this is this is the james bond effect i don't know why these people are doing what they're doing but i'm just kind of trapped in here watching it (laughs) it's, it's you know i mean in certain Bond films, they actually eventually just figured out this is why like Daniel Craig Bonds are kind of the best out of uh, out of all of them anyway. And it's not because it, it's the most current ones, but but they're kind of all set. The set pieces are interested in their own right. So even though I don't care about like whatever Le Chiffre is doing or whoever, it's interesting to watch the sort of process of like a twenty minute long set piece of people just doing parkour around a building site, right? Or, I don't know, um, massive chase on the streets of Rome. It's just 
fundamentally viscerally interesting in here most of what what what's in here is just the opposite this i is, i would say yeah. i would say for me at least the underwater stuff a lot of those scenes are pretty good so i am sort of interested in how some of those scenes uh play out so for instance like when the like in the finale uh underwater there's a, a great fight sequence there that involves stealing someone else's uh a scuba gear and taking someone else's mouthpiece and there are other moments and the more other dives. comes back the more eel comes back and there are some other moments where you know the actors are doing fairly impressive you know stuff like they're well it's gonna sound silly but they're vacuuming the bottom they're vacuuming the floor of a shipwreck you know, that's sort of interesting to see that they're doing all this. And for the most part, I think it is the actors because they had to take scuba training. Um, so they're doing interesting things. So I'm sort of there for that. But everything above the surface is like no understanding of what's going on. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to sound like a, like a piranha to shill. But, you know, Jimmy Cameron had it right. When he was, he, he probably watched The Deep in 1977 and he just thought to himself, you know what this film needs? Flying piranhas. That's yeah. A, like some well, kind of a threat. Like something would... that it's, yeah, something that's going to build to. And I think what's inherently missing here, we're supposed to care about the Duchess of Parmesi or who, whoever uh, lost this shopping list, list of trinkets whatever the hell the 1700s story, however that goes in here. We're supposed to care about that. And we're supposed to care about uh, finding, you know, the, the provenance for this necklace. And I think that's that's, that's sort it. of the, the miscue. I think it's it's plot driven. But, you know, why would I care about any of this along the I way? Mean, I suppose because like Peter Benchley probably spent three weeks in a, in a library just obsessing over this and just he yeah. failed to realize... It's not that great. <laughs> yeah. And just, yeah, it just feels like a Bond movie that is just, for some reason, just cameras pointing away from Bond. <laughs> you know, it's just, there's, like, I just feel like this is a, this, like, I could imagine that this is where, like, on the other side of the island where Dr. No has its lair. <laughs> like yeah. we're just like Sean Connery somewhere on the other end of the island and we're just watching some random random people's videos from their holiday <laughs> it just kind of feels that way and, and my, my other sort of pet theory because I'm watching this and I'm trying to entertain myself somehow so I wouldn't fall asleep because that's an issue right so I'm watching this and I'm just thinking to myself is this a prequel to Jaws where you know like Quint when he uh when he survived World War Two and then he couldn't process what happened to him, um, he Dude, went you to don't Bermuda. Live in a lighthouse. <laughs> he went to Bermuda to get, and just bought a lighthouse and he just stayed there. And uh, and then this happened. Nick Nolte happened to him, and then he couldn't. He decided I can't live in Bermuda anymore, so he went went to Martha's Vineyard, and uh, and he started a sharking business. Specifically after this of the the events from the finale, when there are actual sharks in there as well, and it was just like that's it. Like I have survived in the USS Indianapolis, and I had to just bubble up to the surface with uh, just to avoid being bitten by a shark. And I think in one scene they almost just got a, got his hand. Like there's like there are real sharks in this scene. Just, yeah. You know, 
<laughs> and then he just started this sort of sharking business. I was like, that's it. I'm going to get rid of all the shots I can possibly find. And, you know, this is how we find Quint. So, <laughs> so it's just like <laughs> Quint Origins. <laughs> Jaws Origins. Jaws colon Origins, Quint. Colon Quint. Yeah. You know, that maybe that does make me like this a little bit more. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure um, if it makes me like this more. It's just like, I can't. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, no, not a good film at all. Do you think that this here is a, a film that uh, spoke to James Cameron, though, on, on that front, going back to there? Do you think this is one where Cameron and his youth said, oh, my God, this is cool. And he was working on some Corman films probably at the at the time and mm-hmm. and said, mm, this would be really cool if we could do something like this. They just have piranhas in it. Yeah. Saltwater flying piranhas. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah I, I i can totally see that because like jimmy cameron is kind of one of those guys who just like obsess over actual technology and uh the the practicality of making something happen he would probably be all over the fact that they spend like i want to say like 90 minutes of running time underwater and you'd be just saying this would be so cool to actually make a whole he's one of those guys who would actually say it would be so cool to shoot the entire film underwater and then yeah. he would probably just write, write a story around it or See, like I, you yeah i wonder if peter yates is as well right like i think that like with with bullet and i'm not a big fan of bullet but i'm a big fan of that car chase uh, and i think he just really invests himself in like half the film by the way right <laughs> yeah I, I think he really invests himself in this friedkin type idea of okay want to make this special so we're going to go out and we're going to do something special we're not just going to take over san francisco and uh you know have some cars go by and shoot it we're going to have cars go by at you know 80 miles an hour and city streets and they're just going to you know go all out i think that's what he's doing here i think you know they they did a remarkable amount of filming under underwater uh at the time it was the largest underwater set ever built so i think a lot of the stuff of them vacuuming i think that's probably in the underwater set that they they built like it's the practical stuff that they do here underwater is very impressive um and it's it's interesting to me that it is the actors that are doing uh you know most of this stuff like that is beset with the puff, puffer fish that is nolte um you know handling an octopus in in the opening in the opening bit so there's there's some impressive underwater stuff that that is happening i really like uh the bit when the sharks get tangled up in the the mm-hmm. their lines poor sharks, by the way the poor sharks um but they start thrashing about above and you know robert shaw is connected to this so his body goes flying and he gets pulled against uh you know this this opening with quite a bit of authority that to me is is sort of fun and you know that's when this that's when this film does work um is is during these sort of special specially uh choreographed underwater sequences and also robert shaw dives in this so what i what i want to say is evening attire as well (laughs) i I made a note of that as well he's just he's wearing like yeah he's got like a golf shirt on and just (laughs) the shorts that he was wearing, like there's no scuba gear for this guy. And I think that the actors had quite a bit of uh, their own say in 
in sort of tweaking the dialogue and and their characters. And I don't know, is this a function of how Peter Yates operates? I just don't know the guy. Uh, I'm well telling enough. you, Robert Shaw is Quint. He's just like, you know, <laughs> Hooper drives the boat, chief. You know, he's just like, he doesn't care. It's black like molasses. <laughs> oh, yeah. And all these all these expressions with the, the, the ocean doesn't doesn't give out receipts. <laughs> it's like the ocean's not a jewelry store. And if it was, it wouldn't give out receipts. Just... Actually, I'm starting to think. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm actually starting to think Robert Shaw actually... Uh, okay, he survived in the USS Indianapolis and then he became a Mossad agent and he uh, <laughs> and <laughs> stopped the terrorist attack in Black Sunday. And then he decided, you know, I have had enough. I'm going to go on, go on a holiday. And then just he just looked at this sort of, uh, lighthouse and goes, I'm going to buy this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because, you know, he clearly knows quite a few things because he like rigs it with explosives at some point. And by the way, this explosion just like rips the top of this lighthouse and just floats down. Like I'm just thinking to myself, they really just blew the shit out of this lighthouse. I'm just wondering like, if you go to Bermuda or somewhere, there's going to be this like blown up lighthouse yeah. somewhere. In there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think Yates is, he's the type of guy like, okay, let's go out and do it. You know, like it's I don't think that's of- a special effect. I think they, they did it's that kind of, to a yeah, it's, it's the sorcerer spirit. It's like, you know, you know. Yeah. But at the end of it all, I guess, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you and you're saying, yeah, I totally agree. But then, in, if, is there an allure in just the idea of like shooting a film underwater and it's just like, yeah, you kind of have to have a good story to tell as well. Yeah, I agree. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm, I'm trying to find some talking points here. It still doesn't work for me on the whole. Um, you know, I'm enjoying the effort in some of the underwater stuff um, and trying to connect it to Yates, but it's it like still it doesn't work. Like if other otherwise just make it an experimental film, make it a half hour of, you know, natu- National Geographic uh, thing where you're underwater. That's all well and good. But if, if you're going to try to throw these ideas in there of of these drug dealers that wants a free score of morphine from the ocean floor. And meanwhile, have this vacationing couple want to make millions off of finding treasure. You know, you got to connect the, you got to connect it all together with whatever the script is doing. And uh, it's just, yeah, not, not flying here. No. Because like I don't know, like nowadays I can think there is a lot of talk being a lot of sort of um, talk around this. Sort of I can't remember if it's a, if it's a Macquarie or Doug Lyman film that they're just going to. We're going to totally shoot it in space, right? And um, hmm. okay, shoot a film, shoot a film in space. But if 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 the plot and the story and the characters are not there, this is going to be just like the deep only just up there, right? Yeah. This to to me, this is just a, like it's almost impossible to talk about this film because there's nothing to talk about. Like I'm just thinking to myself, like, what do I know about Nick Dolte's character? What do I know about Robert Shaw? Like, I have to invent like f- fantasy worlds where Quint is just is 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 like I don't know is is the same character in here or. I don't even know what to think about Nick Nolte because, like, do do I care about the the relationship that he has with Jacqueline Bisset? Like, they're clearly on the rocks. I, I don't know. They have this like weird conversation. 
and I'm just thinking to myself, is this a mistake that A, someone greenlit a production based on a book that Peter Lynchy didn't write yet, and B, that Peter Benchley was allowed to uh, to um, adapt his own shit, <laughs> having just been handed the biggest sort of ego boost of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. I mean, fair enough, good on him, right? Like he wrote a book that was successfully adapted in arguably the biggest blockbuster of of in history ever, right? And he's in, and his name's right there on it. And, and the idea for this massive shark and these three men going fishing is is his. That's great. But equally, it kind of looks like it was an accident. On his part. Yeah, yeah. like it's just it just stars aligned, and he just wrote this book that kind of took off, and then just and in stars aligned in that that someone and someone just gave this book to Steve Spielberg, and then just. Just loads of little little coincidences had to had to just line it line this themselves up, and then he just probably just thinks like, no, this is for real. Like I'm the best, and because <laughs> I'm not even sure what did he actually write anything before was was this his debut book? I want to I want to find out. I'm sorry. I'm gonna no go for it. Fiction, Jaws, nineteen. This was his first book. He. It makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. It makes total sense now. You have your whole life to write your first book. How old was he? How old was this dickhead? Was he in his 30s? I'm trying to. 1940 was right. So he was 34 when he wrote yeah. Jaws. Like, he had 20 years to write it, if you think about it, right? You could write and rewrite and rethink. Or maybe you're not even right. Just think about it. Just. Yeah. Have you read Jaws? Um, no, not yet. Yeah. It's on my Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> so I can <laughs> just I just finished reading uh, uh, Andy Weir's Artemis and that was that was, that was underwhelming a little bit but anyway way better than Life of Pi though. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I think you're on to something here. And but... then you only have what like two years to kind of follow up on this, and this is like a curse for for filmmakers as well. That like the sophomore yeah. curse, sophomore curse, right? Like where you just all of a sudden you have to just put up. And then just sh- show up on set and then just make a great movie when you don't have to, 20 years to kind of just mull over it. You have mm-hmm. two years yep. to make, to put it together. And you just had this ego boost. Like someone told like, look, your debut book was amazing. That means everything I'm doing is amazing. I'm great. Yeah. I'm Ernest Hemingway, bitches. Brian I'm gonna, Singer. I'm William, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Faulkner. I'm I'm John Steinbeck, and I, I honestly believe that he would just, you know, he would be one of those guys who would just like un- undress holy in front of a mirror and just masturbate standing up. <laughs> just, yeah, I think I think you're onto something. Like, if your first, if your first output is Jaws, and then it gets taken to the public consciousness via the film in the manner that it is, how can you think you're capable of any wrong? Really? Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're honest. Like, and... He's like Putin. No one ever told him no. <laughs> yeah, no. I think I think there's 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 something to that. And then when this is made, uh, you know, it's it's just lacking. It's lacking a lot of pieces. And I I don't think that Peter Yates is anywhere near the storyteller that uh, Spielberg is. 
you know, like I think Yates invests himself in moments, but uh, I should be careful. I'm just basing this on <laughs> bullet and the deep. But, uh, you know, what I see is him investing in moments, but not necessarily having a handle on how the audience is taking the whole thing and, and what the audience should be caring about throughout, mm -hmm. maybe moment for moment, but, you know, not not throughout, not big picture. I think it's, I, I think you're right. I think like Yates is more interested in like the spectacle side of things. Like he 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 really wants the challenge of like let's let's make a movie underwater. Let's just let's just mm -hmm. film these sort of the the Mustang going eighty miles an hour through the streets of San Francisco. I don't care, right? Let's send people into outer space and film space orcs. I don't know. I suppose they made up a lot of it. <laughs> uh, but 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 I have a feeling that. There is a reason why someone like someone in the studio hired a bunch of people to rewrite this. And one of them specifically being the James Bond guy. Because maybe they realized like this isn't that interesting. Like let's spice it up. And I have a feeling that both that this couldn't be spiced up. Like, you know. Polish a third, still a third. I mean, you know, like you, you roll it in sprinkles, it will still it, it will you know, we'll look the part, you bite into it, you'll be, you'll be very, very disappointed. But, you know, that's a very weird analogy to make. No, but, but I think it's, I think it's correct. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. It, like, it feels like they're just, I like, hired a, a Bond guy to, and I have, I would, I want to read this book at this moment, just, just torture myself with the, the deep by Peter Benchley to find out whether this of the, the Haitian crew and all these, all these plots are there or are there this prominently. Because it kind of looks like it's a James Bond plot that's just grafted onto a story that doesn't exist. A story about a shark that never showed up on set. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, and like and the, too, like with a Bond with a Bond film, you at least have a protagonist that can drag you through it, right? Here, mm -hmm. I feel Nolte's not doing that. Bissett's not doing that. There's not a relationship there that I'm following that helps me do that. Uh, Robert Shaw is, even though I think he's top billing and he certainly got paid the most, at least he's not dragging me through it. It's, he's just sort of an exposition machine at some point, like at some points in this. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, again, this is me inventing a fantasy universe. What if the <laughs> sort of Peter Yates was interested in this? Cause he was like, let's put a shark in this film. Like, let's put this, let's get this great white shark together with Nick Nolte and Jacqueline Bisset, and let's just make this work. Or like this giant moray eel. Let's just let's just have the giant moray eel scare the shit out of them and just let's let's have them fight a real giant moray eel. And they put it in the in in the ocean together with Jacqueline Bisset and Nick Nolte and then the moray eel fucked off into this ship and stayed there and didn't want to leave. Hmm. And they just said, well we should probably just make a movie out of something then. <laughs> It kind of feels like, like I'm like it's impossible to talk about this one because there's nothing in it, and equally it's so full of crap that, you, that I don't understand <laughs> why it's there. It's it's, it's impossible. Like it, yeah, we, we, I think we've covered it all. <laughs> it's just there's underwater photography is amazing. There's a few great explosions, a few chases. I don't know why and how they connect. And then even if I did, I don't think this is that interesting. And Robert Shaw is just Quint, but he shaved. Yeah. So, so, 
which is about it. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Yeah, <laughs> that is about it. No, I just, I just honestly feel like we've done it because I, I mean, there is a second John, um, James Bond connection because it's a film scored by John Barry. Did you know that? Uh, yes, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. it's John Barry. And then if you go on Wikipedia, it's just people like, ooh, John Barry did the score. Like, wow, is it that good, though? The, the <laughs> score didn't do anything. I didn't like as I, re- I didn't like the score in Bullet, but this one I didn't mind. But it didn't do anything for me either. Mm-hmm. You know, like some of these departments for a film, you don't want them to stand out. It's just It's just meant to you know, enrich the experience, but it doesn't have to stand out as awesome for it to be in fact awesome. This one didn't stand out at all. So it's, you know, perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, it is. Uh, it is kind of like, well, I don't know. It feels like trying to talk about this film is essentially like trying to talk about a roller coaster ride to someone who's never been on a roller coaster. It's like, it's actually cool when, you know, like when the thing goes, phew, and it goes like, and you go upside down. It's like, it's very cool, but does it amount to something? Not really. It was fun while it lasted, at least for these few few little moments. But other than that, it was you know like I stood in line for 127 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, one thought I had, and I mentioned it earlier, and I, I'll just I'll bounce it off you. Uh, I I just I wonder if because this was a hit, then maybe it's inspiring other other filmmakers or the studios to say, Oh, well, how can we recreate this or do, do something with this idea? There are these two henchmen in here. One is Kevin who is working for, um, trees for trees for, yeah. So, and anyway, and I guess there's a bunch of people, it's almost mm-hmm. like that trees and all he is, is like a specialized collector or something and just a local historian, but he seems to have like, in, is able to instantly summon like a security detail of of his own men. And anyway, one of them is a special guy named Kevin, who I guess is a Mossad agent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's connect it to uh, Black Sunday. Uh, so anyway, so Kevin, I don't know, he's like a family pet or something that he inherited, or Kevin inherited him. I don't really understand the relationship, but but fine. So this Kevin guy is this huge honking guy, like a Stallone type. And Cloche at some point, so Lou Gossett Jr. sends his henchman, who's another beefed up muscle head, to attack him. And they have this big fight of these two huge guys that look like they could be wrestlers. Do you think that this could maybe have inspired some of the muscle men stuff in the 80s? I think you're giving this film way much credit, way much more credit than it deserves. Oh, it's it's reaching more than assigning credit. I, but. I do think that it kind of fits. You know, it, it 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 this is a Bond film trope. It's yeah, essentially guess, just yeah. Jaws fighting fighting Bond. Like there's this there's this sort of idea of like because I mean it's a good scene. It's gonna make an appearance, yeah. right? Where you have, well, with this propeller and it actually is a suspenseful moment. But then again, I'm watching this suspenseful moment and I have no idea who these people are. Yeah. <laughs> and when it ends, why does it matter? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, like you see the the big discovery and you see Kevin's body just like looking exactly like someone's tried to assemble him, like just make him look like a swastika. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Potato why. head with the body parts put in awkwardly. 
Yeah, and uh, <laughs> that, Jesus Christ, I guess, and and then and you're supposed. To, I think in a different film with a different story, you'd have a you'd have some kind of a reaction because mm-hmm. you'd care about Robert Shaw's character, but you but the fact I didn't care means that the film. I mean, either means I'm a psychopath, which is a possibility. You never know. Maybe I'm faking all of it, and I have you know, and that's and the reason why I'm. You know, poking and prodding about cannibalism. You know, recently in your in your hurricane, you know, I've been I've been doing this all over your sort of like hurricane sort of debacle. Yeah, is uh, is because I you know I can eat a body. So <laughs> <laughs> feelers out to see if there's any other cannibals out there. If there's any cannibals listening, please write into the show. You're in please don't, because then we'll have friendly to friendly territory. Please, yeah. <laughs> Please don't write into the show because now I'll have to just relay this to the cops because <laughs> otherwise I'll be an, an accessory. <laughs> I don't want to uh. be an accessory. But yeah, like you don't care. Like, I, I don't know. Like Nick Nolte and Jacqueline Bissett have these like um, like ma- marital spats and then you just think to yourself, I don't read know that I care. And it's just like, as you said, like, well, they're, they're, they're going to have millions of dollars. I don't know whether I should, what I should feel about about this it's inconsequential that not nothing in in here is bears any consequence and then there are moments where it just i don't know if you feel nice it's kind of like going on a roller coaster like you, it's a visit to a whole theme park where you just like stand in line for god knows how long and then you have three minutes of a good time and then you back in line <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just good there, yeah there's the episodes analogy. That's good. <laughs> I mean, I have so many, so so many fantasy scenarios in here because it's just nothing else in here. I don't know, but it, it kind of is like that. It's yeah. just you know, there are there are real sharks, there are real moray eels, I suppose. There there are real sort of diving expeditions. They're they're trying to kind of just make this sort of, I don't know. Sorcerer-esque experience where they're they're putting these actors in real uh, on real locations in some kind of realistic environments, but their story they'll tell, but the story they're telling is absolute just bowl of diarrhea. And then if you ever see diarrhea in a bowl, then you probably should leave the house immediately because this is not a house you want to dine in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like Peter Yates is a new Hollywood director, but he's like the young idiot brother or something. That's... <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not even sure if he's that young. Like he's one of those that he just probably just doesn't care. He's just like, I'm maybe it's like, oh, I don't, you know, let's put these people underwater. He just gets invested in the scuba diving gear and then, <laughs> and, and he just goes like, well, by the way, I have this guy, Peter Bentley. He just wrote the script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. And he goes reads the scripts and he's just like, "Can we give it to the Bond guy? Because this this script's dog shit." And, and they probably just shot it out of order. So probably even Peter Hayes didn't know what the film was about. <laughs> <laughs> With that, I have a feeling like we flogged this horse for long enough. I think so. Or unless you have something, I don't think I have anything else worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard it's honestly I, so hard i was watching this and i was just like it's so hard to stay awake watching this let alone talking about about this for like an hour and a bit i don't know 
final take about the deep did you change your mind is it now a masterpiece because it's a prequel <laughs> to, Ch- to jaws and a sequel to black sunday and it just, uh, it, ju- it just works in the sort of shaw cinematic universe shaw scope Ooh, there, there you go um <laughs> Yeah, look, no, nothing's really changed for me. Like, I, I really like some of the underwater scenes here, but boy, oh boy, it doesn't come together, does it? It's, uh, I don't really know what I should care about. Um, and we didn't really talk about, uh, there's there's some scenes near the end where they, the actors are literally hanging out on the set and reading books. And... <laughs> I wonder why I'm we didn't talk about it. this in detail. It's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, what is happening? Uh, anyway, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not changed. I sort of wish this whole <laughs> film did stay underwater and was actually about forty minutes uh, shorter, and then maybe we would have had something. But. There's an eighty-minute ma- minute masterpiece in every film. I think this is, you know, yeah. You know, there's a scene where Jacqueline B. Like, they're sitting in this library and Nick Nolte is very excited. He's just like, oh, you know, let's just dig into these papers and whatever. And she's like, if I wanted to spend my holiday in, in a library, I would have never left the house. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I feel like that. I feel exactly... She's my spirit animal in the scene because I feel like she also didn't want to be there because, like, if I were, really wanted to kind of learn about how, how good record keepers Spanish 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 were in the 1700s I would have just read a Wikipedia entry on this or maybe like you know like just go f- be frisky read a book just <laughs> go to the library and just read up on this uh, because I'm old and, and old fashioned um, because it just yeah there's a moment actually in one of those so scenes good. where I forget who asked. I think Nick Nolte asks, is there any fresh coffee on? And Jacqueline says, like, yes, there is. And he walks across the set and pours himself a coffee and nothing else happens. It's just a long one shot of Nolte getting coffee. I might be backwards. Maybe it was Bissette getting the coffee. And Nolte said, yes, there's fresh coffee right over there. (laughs) This is just the type of film that this turns into that it wants to be a hangout film it wants me to care about every little action peter yates is shooting everything and uh it's just ending up in here unedited <laughs> i mean could you imagine like in a paul thomas anderson film where you have this long steady cam take of uh, let's just say uh, you know john c Riley just walking through a building and then just like walk through the corridors and there are these people that he passes by and there's this intricate shot and he just keep keeps walking and walking and walking and walking and walking and he just keeps and then you just see all these people the tapestry of characters and whatever oh that's that's a beautifully composed shot look at this how much work went into this and then he walks in there and then the shot finishes in the moment where he just walks up and then just goes to a light switch and flicks it off that's it why? 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 Yeah. Why have I followed you here, just to turn the lights off? Sorry if you're disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what did you expect? A shark? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, there are sharks in the film, but you know what? It's too little, too late. Like, 
But he had a more eel for like 110 minutes that just makes two appearances, one of which is useful. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's such a mess. I don't know. Like Peter Benchley should be ashamed of himself. Like it's just shit the bed so much writing this. And then probably, and so there's so many people who shot the bed on this, like green lighting this, believing that this would have been a great book. And probably Peter Yates was probably just one of those people just thinking like, this is going to be a good film anyway, because I get to go underwater with these people. And Nick Nolte is like, this is going to be a great film because they're letting me grow a mustache. You know? Yeah. This is a, this is a Jaws ripoff and in sort of a different way than we talked about when we were talking about animal attacks. There's not really an animal attack here, but it's, it's a total Jaws ripoff because it exists only to capitalize on the success of Jaws a couple of years earlier. No, no, it is a Jaws ripoff. It's about three people going fishing, only there's no shark. Like, that's the the Jaws ripoff. That's (laughs) the gimmick. It's just, let's just do Jaws without sharks. But let's pretend for a while that the shark's there. So, (laughs) I suppose, okay, credit where credit is due. Like, for, I want to say, good half of the film, this movie, like, whenever these people go into water, there's this sort of sense of dread that, you know, like, I suppose it's a carryover from Jaws because it's the 70s and and it's Peter Benchley and whatever. So you just expect there's going to be this massive animal hunting people down. But there isn't one, even though there's there's a promise of one because there's like, there's mm-hmm. the most, this is the biggest giant, more, more eel I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, that's it. This is going to be the, the I, I, this is what they're going to be fighting at the end. No, it helps them for a second. It kills Louis Gossett Jr. I spoiled it for you. You don't have to watch it now. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if the shark's not there, and it turns out that, you know, would have been better with a shark. It's now, not the most difficult part of the show. Let's go through our top threes. Actually, I have quite a few tops. I have a few honorables. Oh, Jesus. Um, a, lot of we, a lot we've mentioned. I, I really like the opening beset with a puffer fish and Nolte with the octopus. I think that's some just sort of neat stuff. Good tone setting. Um, another honorable mention. Uh, I like, actually, it's not really an honorable mention. It's sort of a significant one. Um, so I guess I have four actuals. Um, the motorboat motor fight, the propeller. I think that was a really mm-hmm. uh, cool moment in the fight between the two heavies, Kevin and whatever his whomever. name is. Yeah, whomever. <laughs> Greg. Uh, let's assume it's Greg. Yeah. Or McAllister. Kevin and McAllister. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was a good good moment. Um the yeah, and a shout out too for the underwater sets, like the ones that they built. I think those were pretty cool, looked pretty good. And I did like the feeding frenzy of the sharks and the sharks do get tangled in lines and the lines, once they're tangled in the sharks and the sharks start whipping around, do pull the actors who are connected to the lines, not the actual actors, but um, the, the characters get pulled to the edge of the, the ship and they get sort of thrashed about. That was pretty cool. I like that. Um, I do like in the finale underwater, Nick Nolte is taking on the big guy uh McAllister and he gets on his back and he pulls his uh scuba mouthpiece out so basically makes the guy drown i thought that was sort of pretty cool 
And number one, it's in, I think, minute number two for a timestamp, two or three minutes in, the moray eel grabbing uh, Jacqueline Bissett's arm and pulling her with authority uh, by the arm into this little hole and does it two or three times. And it's a really impactful shot and really does set up expectations that we're going to be in for some, you know, good drama here. But as it plays out, we don't end up caring about that character as much as we should. Anyway, those it's are almost, my tops. It's almost like Peter Benchy forgot that this was an this was a possibility. <laughs> just, well, yeah. Yeah, we have this giant more eel can just like set a set a story around it. But then he just invented Robert Shaw's character. It's just like, I don't know. I know what we're gonna do. We're just gonna hunt treasure. In books. <laughs> In books, yeah. Because it's a and book. Morphine. And morphine. I was just like, no, this is not even half as interesting as you think it is, Peter. Okay. Uh five things so one that you mentioned the propeller fight is just you know it's like they live or or like commando it's just i fucking green berets for breakfast and now right now i'm very hungry um it is a suspenseful scene it's just the problem is that like outside of the scene i don't know why i'm 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 supposed to Mm. care because i don't care about these characters one bit but the scene itself is is interesting we didn't mention this of the the elevator shaft set piece. Oh, true, yeah. Because there's this sort of elevator from the cliff to the beach, and then Nick Nolte's climbing it, and there's this one little moment where he just about misses the big sort of counterweight, just yeah, slicing his leg off. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's just like shit. Like did they, they actually almost get Nick Nolte decapitated in there. It was great. Um, I've got, I mean, my note says sharks exclamation mark, which is this, this sort of the, the callback to the final set piece with actual sharks being in water with actors and, and or stunt doubles. And the fact that they have to just go and use the, the clever way to use to disguise themselves in bubbles so that the sharks would be like, we don't want to attack this because I don't know what this is. It's probably a fart. Let's stay away. Um, <laughs> And there's this one little scene in there where a shark actually comes at one of the actors and almost nips them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an interesting scene. Just a shout out because Moray Eel comes comes online once and becomes useful when it just bites off the guy's head. It's very interesting. And then for me, the 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 in, most interesting moment where actually, I mean, yes, this the beginning sets up quite a lot of expectations. Because there is one sort of moment that in the moment viscerally is very interesting. I feel like this is this is Hurricane Billy type of Friedkin esque sort of filmmaking. Is during this the moped chase when Jacqueline besets sort of side by side with the truck, and then she's she's riding super close to an actual wall not sure if this is her or if this is this is a stunt double but i'm looking at this i'm like this is for real this is filmed for reals on location they're actually riding and driving one small mistake in this woman's toast (laughs) and feels like this is this is very like you know one of those bond moments that kind of works because it's i don't know for me this 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 was suspenseful and scary because i was just worrying for, for for the life of this this person who did this i suppose if if they if someone died on set this i wouldn't see this scene because they would have probably canned the movie but yeah that's my tops now bottoms that'll be easier 
should be able to find some. All right. Um, okay, yeah, a dishonorable mention here just to get things started. So the scene that I like so much, Jacqueline Bissett gets pulled in by her arm into this hole in this, uh, through this hull. After she finally escapes, she's panicking a bit and she's desperately trying to get to the surface. And Nick Nolte has seen her signal with air bubbles. So he's chasing her down to try to help. And what does Nick Nolte, the superstar boyfriend do? He tries to grab her by the leg while she's panicking and pull her down, you know, as if he's trying to kill her. So (laughs) just such a weird way for that to play out. I also didn't understand this. And I think his, was it his logic that he'd want to make her, make sure that she doesn't get the bends? Oh, I don't think they were down that deep. Yeah, but he's like, what, do you want to die? You're going too fast. I'm like, you're not, like, this is not deep sea diving, is it? Yeah, they're only... (laughs) What did they say? 80 feet down or something? That's not that far. Yeah. So he's an idiot. Seven stories. Yeah. Oh, terrible. Yeah. So I also had a note here, just as another uh, mini ugly, just in general, Nick Nolte's character as a boyfriend. So firstly, what I just said, nearly drowns her. Then when they get out in the boat, Bissette is clearly sort of on edge. And she says, oh, my God, I almost drowned. And Nolte's like, no, I almost drowned. Because in trying to escape Nolte, who's grabbing her foot, she kicks him and knocks his mask off. And he's like, oh, my God, no, I almost drowned. Like, one-upmanship, you know, oh, you have your problems. I have my problems. Like, what What a dick. After she's been attacked by the voodoo guys, whatever that was about, and she's been humiliated and she's got blood all over herself from a chicken, whatever that has to do with anything. Uh, Maybe it's, I don't know. Angel Heart, know. maybe. I was just going to try to make some sort of Angel Heart connection, but Angel Heart was like 12 years later or something. Anyway, um, she's attacked and she's feeling really bad and vulnerable. And he sort of hugs her as if he's consoling her, but then she's crying. He's like, shh, shh, shh. You know, listen, no, no, listen to me. Like he's just so uncaring. Uh, anyway, th- this guy's a terrible boyfriend. So that's Someone think this a, is a very well written character, you know, because it's very, you know. Okay, so he's so caring. Uh, number three, all of Robert Shaw's seafaring dialogue. <laughs> Just really, Jesus, that's no lover's kiss. The ocean's not a jewelry store. She don't give receipts. Oh my God. That was just driving me nuts. Could every... you imagine that this is was this a producer's note? Like, can we make sure that Robert Shaw kind of sounds a little bit like Quint's? Like, I see you brought your rubbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet that's totally what what the idea was. Anyway, number didn't agree. two, he didn't agree to say like farewell and adieu to a fair Spanish lady. <laughs> number two, everything that has to do with the three lead characters sitting around looking at books in uh, Robert Shaw's living room. He just whips out all these books and everyone is super interested in fresh coffee and reading books. Oh, look at this picture. This is this is a picture of a duchess. Her real name was Elizabeth. Like, what are we talking about? Oh, the Spanish kept excellent, meticulous records. Why would something be why would something uh, be missing? You know, who cares? The king of Spain in 1715, who cares? 
that stuff drove me nuts. It's he even poorly blocked. And yes, <laughs> the King of Spain didn't get laid or what? Oh my, it's just so stupid and dry. And it's, I'm not going to say it's terribly acted, but it's, it's just boringly blocked. Who cares about anything in there? So that's my number two. And number one, the final couple shots, um, Shaw surfaces after blowing up the shipwreck, why he was rigging that with, with bombs. I don't know. Because um, he didn't want Louis Gossett Jr. To get all the, uh, the morphine. Sure. That he already <laughs> fished out anyway and put in his lighthouse and rigged with C4. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this awesome. makes no sense. No yeah. sense. <laughs> so anyway, after he comes, after Shaw surfaces and uh, he holds up triumphantly that he's got something in his hand, he went back to the the bottom of the ocean and he grabbed this trinket before the explosion and he goes, hey, David, and he throws the chain and there's this dragon pendant on it and it's all slow motion and Nolte reaches up triumphantly in slow motion and he catches this dragon pendant and freeze frame movie ends. Hurrah. It's what am I celebrating? I there's the moment is cheese is all hell. And then I've got this celebratory ending and I don't know what it is. I'm supposed to be so happy about except maybe the forthcoming credits. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you have to say at least after that, it's just fade to black roll credits. We're done here. 70s were such a good era, even when the shitty film was on. Like, there's no one has time for denouement. It's just like, we're, yeah, we're, no, we're done here. <laughs> Slow motion chain toss is the denouement, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, cut to credits. Okay, so Nick Nolte smiling underwater. There's this moment when he just goes like. Nyeh. On that, I'm just going to add, every once in a while they try talking underwater and it's really weird and uh, the, garbled. It's, it's coming up. Oh, apologies. Okay, It's coming up. <laughs> People trying to communicate underwater. Just, <laughs> and they eventually just give them these massive masks so they go like... <laughs> <laughs> it's just like and then Robert Shaw goes like, mm, mm, totally understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they find this pocket of air somewhere in the ship. It's like, oh, let's go there and just talk. And it's just, if they do this every day, this is just pure carbon dioxide at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Not the best. Uh, And I've got, well, my note says the ending. Because the whole concept just annoys me. But this whole, uh, you know what? I wanted to kind of just do this, you know, the, the slow-mo shot of the pendant being thrown like chariots of fire, it just uh, gross. But what really bothers me is just the sort of the, he, he, the, the procedural element of Robert Shaw setting up these charges and then he's just walking around with this fuse and he fires the fuse and the fuse gun takes three and a half years to blow. <laughs> And I understand the procedurality of this as in like, well, this could be cool. Like in another, like in Thief, looking at, at you know, James Khan just drilling a hole is suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, in Refifi, 
looking at three people breaking into a bank or wherever this was that they were breaking with an umbrella. I think a jewelry store. Is suspenseful. Watching Robert Shaw swim underwater and, and, and putting a cable down and then just firing it off is the antithesis of suspenseful. It's just gross. 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 Tells you no one had any clue what makes this what would what could possibly make this movie tick. It's jaws where the shark didn't show up, or just they let the shark loose because they really wanted to spice things up because they knew Bruce was an animatronic shark and it didn't work half the time. So you know what? It's gonna be easier because a live shark works all the time. And they got a real shark and it backed off. And they were like, Well, we just have to just film these people scuba diving, then maybe the shark will turn up. And it didn't. <laughs> That's, that's how I feel. So, so the deep is available to 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 get from my shelf if you really want it. <laughs> I can give it to only only viewed once. Viewed once, <laughs> pissed on twice. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't even know. I, you know what? I'm not gonna look for it. You know, like you go and find out where you want to. It's, it's your it's, it's your funeral. It's not a good. It's arguably one of the worst films I've seen for this show. It was my idea to watch it too. I feel like such a fraud. Well, now it's out of the way. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is what you get sometimes. You both like, oh, it's a first time watch. Like, it would be interesting to watch. It's one of these whole final Robert Shaw films and it actually felt like I stepped on a landmine. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Now we know. That's what the show's for. You know, like in, in Broken Arrow, there's this scene where Christian Slater steps on this like wild, uh, wild sort of mushroom or whatever this is, and it's like, oh no, you stepped on the what you <laughs> yeah. call it, right? And this is horseshit, and then underneath this horse, and it's like, oh, it's horseshit, and you lift up your leg, and underneath this horseshit was an anti-personnel mine, and now it's triggered. Just <laughs> that's me watching the deep, stepped in horseshit, <laughs> in a landmine. It's not good, is it? Like I don't know why 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 would you even care? Like, well, we I did forget to mention in my tops, uh, Jacqueline Bissett's T-shirt scuba scuba gear. That was but, great. Was, but you know, you kept it classy this long. <laughs> 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 no, it's no, like, I, I started yeah. I started the episode talking about it. We did, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's it's kind of hard not to like talk about this. It's just, uh, yeah. You watch the film, you get the you get the picture, but it's your funeral because after that it's downhill from there. Like, <laughs> it's just it's what it is. So you know we've done it. I think we talked about the deep, and uh, I don't really want to talk about the deep anymore. I think Peter Benchley owes me money. Uh, I think he's still alive. If he's still alive, I'm gonna send him an email. It's fucking fraud. <laughs> See. Still alive. He says it says I in here. So. It's, no, no, he died in 2006. Oh. Well, I'm sure his yeah. estate is gonna pay me some money. Anyway, put in the claim. There you go. He died 2006. Poor dude. He was 65. Such a young age to to go. Yeah. But it still doesn't excuse this book and this script. Just dog shit. Sorry. That's it. We've done it. Randy, where can we find you? If it, if it is in, when you're not weeping over this film. 
You can find me online at Twitter at Randy Burroughs. You can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7. And you can find me on Clapper, ltd.co.uk. Awesome. And you can find me hiding my Blu-ray somewhere where I won't know where it is. Uh, and then also talk about film Twitter, Yakub Flash Letterboxd, flashonfilm.com, clapperltd.co.uk. Also follow the show at Uncut Gems Pod everywhere, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the goodies. Uh, also go, go onto our website, uncutgemspodcast.com and browse all our previous episodes, you know, which is a way easier way to do it than just go through your feed, I suppose. Uh, and also remember to sign up and support us by joining our Patreon, where for three bucks a month you will get access to extra podcasts about cool movies. And just a reminder on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash for the month of December, Twin Peaks episodes of our David Lynch Marathon are available to listen for free. Uh, so that's for the month of December. So remember in 2023 these things will no longer be able you will no longer be able to listen to them for free so you know get on that while you're at it and if you're listening from the future then well you should have found you should have found us uh, out later anyway uh earlier i mean jesus i don't know what i'm talking about it's so deep in here i don't know <laughs> it's no i just it's We've not even surfaced funny. man it's not We've almost it's, surfaced you know, I, I've, I've been thinking about this. Like, this is like a Bond movie that's just that has Roger Moore, and they're all dog shit too. I'm sorry if you're a fan of Roger Moore Bonds, but they're dog shit. <laughs> just, I didn't, I I'm didn't not. like us. Hmm? <laughs> I'm not good. I'm not, no, because I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I don't see the appeal. Like when someone says like Roger Moore my, is my favorite Bond, I'm like either you're lying or I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, where was I? You were talking oh, yeah, yeah. about Bond, but you were supposed to be closing the episode. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so stay tuned for next week when, because we'll be continuing or finishing our little trio of episodes about underwater horrors. Hopefully this one's going to be better than this because we'll be talking about the uh, George P. Cosmatos directed Leviathan. So... Stay tuned until next week. Hopefully by that time you'll also be able to hear our conversation about The Abyss, which will be available on our Patreon. I mentioned before, patreon.com slash uncutgemspod. And in the meantime, hope you have a fabulous day and I hope you have a better day than we did watching this piece of shit movie. See you next week. Bye-bye.